Welcome to episode six of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm Rod. You can find me on Instagram at Rod Kim Rocks. And I'm JC. You can find me as the host of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men animated series in their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming out to Disney Plus in 2023. And Rod, you better not remove that awkward pause after my intro. (laughs) Make a mental note. Yep. Some quick reminders. We're a recap show about a series that came out 30 years ago. I still have a hard time saying that out loud. Now now it's only 29 years ago if we're going off of the, the release dates of these episodes. Okay. There will be spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled for you, pause podcast, watch the episode. It's only 21 minutes and come back. We'll do our best to avoid mentioning anything from future episodes we haven't covered yet. We are currently not sponsored or affiliated in any way with Disney or Disney Plus, but we're still trying. Taking our shot. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also post all of these episodes to YouTube in full with amazing not motion graphics supporting them. Follow us on your favorite podcast services. We finally are on the majority of them, except for Stitcher. Maybe by the time this airs, this will be on Stitcher. Finally, we record these episodes in batches right now. So if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, it might be a few weeks behind. Since our last recording session, which was only two weeks ago, we didn't get any news, so we're gonna be really behind. (laughs) Now onto the show. Today we're gonna talk about episode seven, Slave Island. It aired on February 13th, 1993, and currently sits at a 7.7 star rating on IMDb. Okay, so this one starts off in a very familiar place for Jubilee. She wakes up in a prison cell, not knowing where she is. Only this time she has a collar on. Yep. That's Lincoln. You can tell it's some sort of like technological thing or whatever. It's like perfect timing because she wakes up as the other prisoners are... Well, there's an alarm that wakes them up. Yeah. That all get... Oh, okay. That makes sense. There's a a reason why. Yeah. And we see a bunch of people coming out of prison cells. Now, did you recognize any of that crew? I'm I'm curious because we even went through this in the recap of the first episode Mm -hmm. where you didn't recognize Cannonball as an example, who's a member of X-Force in the original New Mutants and stuff. So from that first group, did you recognize any of that crew? I immediately recognize Pyro, Avalanche, and Mystique. And I didn't know who the feline character was. So that was Feral. Okay. Yep. And then, so we were talking about this before recording. I could have sworn at this scene, the person in the green and white outfit was a woman. Right. And that one confused me because especially later on in the episode, we see the power set of this person, which Mm -hmm. is essentially seismic abilities messing with the earth and stuff like that. And that character is Richter. Mm -hmm. But the character design changes slightly because Richter is a man, but comes out of the cell block that is all female mutants Mm -hmm. in the way the characters drawn was slightly androgynous feminine it was just really strange because Richter is not a character recognizable enough that everybody's going to know who they are Mm -hmm. so it was really weird that they were like in the female group but then later it's obviously Richter but also early on in this scene where we start to see the reveal of a lot of these mutants there is the first people's mutant but it is not Thunderbird it's actually Warpath oh I thought it was Thunderbird interestingly enough In the comics, you have John Proudstar, who's Thunderbird, and then James Proudstar, who's Warpath. They are brothers. Because of the association to all the others that are there, Richter, Feral, Domino, I believe we also see later later. on in the episode, it's concluded that this is actually Warpath and not Thunderbird. Then they cut to outside where they're like in a mine pit area. We don't know what it is just yet. Yeah, as as they reveal that it's going to be them building a dam. And you see the blob and who I believe is Sunfire. 
vampire next to him. I am not familiar with the black and white suited dude. Well, so there's the black and white suited dude and then the black and white suited girl. So that is North Star and his sister Aurora, okay. who are members of Alpha Flight, which is the Canadian superhero team that in the comics, Wolverine actually has association to from his time prior to being an X-Men. Oh, so that was probably also a strategic move for the Lee Waltz to not include Wolverine on this mission. We send over a bunch of people who haven't met yeah, these and, characters yet. Yeah, and interestingly enough, we also see Mystique in this group mm -hmm. and without going too far into it, Mystique has relationship with Rogue that we're going to get into in future episodes. So it was definitely a choice to make sure that Rogue would not cross paths with Mystique on this mission. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, they played it really carefully about where they would cross paths and stuff. Yep. I guess also any of the drawing continuity areas, they probably just chalk up to, oh, Mystique is just fooling around. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, even though they can't use their powers. Yeah. That was another interesting thing. I think this is about the time where they reveal that the callers keep them from using their powers. Yeah, because right before we see Blob and Aurora, we see Storm tries to fight her way out. Yeah, they deactivate the collar so that they can use their powers, but they give them a warning that if you try anything, we'll just lock you up and you'll never leave this place. Yep. And we and still don't quite know why they're there. And Storm tries and it doesn't go well for her. She has her collar activated, drops into the water, and then there's the reveal of a sentinel coming out yeah. from under the water. Gamut makes some sort of comment around like the gators in the bayou and stuff oh, like yeah. that, which is just a really ominous image because the whole concept is the bayou is so dangerous because the water is so nasty and murky and mucky that you might not see the gator that's literally mm. inches from you that can kill you in a heartbeat until it's too late. Yeah, and the Sentinel just kind of throws Storm around like a rag doll. That was an image I remembered as a kid. I was like, is she okay? She looks very not alive. No, she, <laughs> she was not okay. And I also think it kind of plays off of something you said in an earlier episode about how Storm's not the leader yet because in the missile thing with Intermagneto, her jumping on it with the help of Professor Xavier saved the day. So she probably got a little overconfident and decided she was going to do it this time and just did not work out because she apparently just didn't listen to what they said. Yeah, apparently she was going to try to call their bluff <laughs> as to whether or not the collars could stop her and she was wrong on that bet. And then Jubilee recognizes the guy from the Mutant Registration Act. Was that guy, Rick, or was that somebody else? That was Trask. That Trask. was Bolivar Trask. Trask. Yep, and Trask kind of gives the heads up of you're working for the leader. Nobody has any idea who the leader is at this point, who basically gives the deal of we will release you when this dam is built. If you try to escape, you're never going to leave. Mm -hmm. Then there's essentially an allusion to we need to permanently dispose of Storm. And then Gambit actually starts kind of outing Storm's powers. Yeah, he he basically, it's not just that she can fly, she can do all this stuff for you guys. And then she has that 90s line for kids that knowledge is power. Yeah, she's <laughs> worried that by saying what her power is, is more dangerous than her having a bullet put in her head. Yeah, or literally just exhibiting that she shoot lightning. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know that they have some form of record of this woman yeah. because this is the same group tied to the people who had the retina scanner. Yeah. <laughs> and so Gambit kind of shows throughout this episode that he's got something else going on. Maybe it's kind of from his, I'm not remembering this correctly, but his background has some sort of criminal. Yeah. So without revealing anything tied to the show specifically within the comic, Gambit is a part of the Thieves Guild. So Gambit is not a totally innocent character. He's not a Jubilee. He's done some shady shit in his past and there is a level of needing to survive mm -hmm. that he, this is where he's exhibiting. And here at least he's using it to save somebody else's life and not just like himself. It's not a purely selfish act to keep his friend alive. Would you say he had a card up his sleeve? <laughs> I don't even like puns.
But it's just too good. Here's the thing. You guys can't see it because we are not a video podcast, but the look on my face is of utter hate. It's so funny because I'm usually that guy that doesn't like them, but so far it's what, twice now in two episodes? Yeah. It's come up and it's just too too good to pass up. Yeah, last episode I said you were going to be off the show, but then I remembered I can't edit audio as good, so I made a judgment call. So JC's taking applications. That's the moral of the story. Yep. That's when they say they're just going to put Storm in the box. Yep. And as soon as that gets uttered, Storm just freaks out. Yep. We established earlier she has claustrophobia. I think the characters actually all start talking about Julie at some point says, what about our claustrophobia? And the more that the other characters say it, the more like real it becomes. Yeah, more tense and everything like that. So she gets thrown into a literal metal box. I mean, it's a metal closet. It's a quarter of the size of what her cell would be mm-hmm. and stuff. So, and yeah. it's dark and only has like that one like sliver of light that goes out and then they reveal they're building a dam i was suspicious that we saw the blob and sunfire before but they actually say their names here and then we see the guards have this habit of just saying it's the end of the day for whatever reason before we get to the end of the day we do see the guy from the intro oh yeah the guy in the little green suit and also domino there's so many shots where they just like pass over everybody's like is that is that is that (laughs) well i want to talk about the guy in the little green suit because Mm -hmm. around this time there's an attack that happens in the forest and that's when they decide to close up the day and that's where you get a clear shot of Domino and you get the white-skinned Caliban. Oh, is that who that was? I was wondering if it was Darwin. No, so in the comics at this point, Darwin still hadn't been created for a solid 15 years or so. He was X-Men New Genesis, I believe was the storyline. That wasn't until the late 2000s. Okay. So no Darwin. But we do see this guy in a green suit and like a pasty pink and he's actually in the run-up in the intro to the episode. On Magneto's side, yeah. And that character was just randomly placed there. (laughs) There is not a version of that character that had been found in any X-Men comic from then. It was just kind of like in the Morlock scene and in in our previous batch of episodes where there were just a few random designs in addition to the established ones. But that one somehow with this massive selection of mutant villains Mm -hmm. that are specifically tied to the X-Men IP that they could have chose from, they decided to not. Yeah. Yeah. We want to fill out this roster and apparently the comic universe doesn't have enough yeah and i do also want to talk about that intro a little bit more too in addition to the obvious like famous ron wasserman music and Mm -hmm. such shout out to ron for the intro for our own show that he recorded with you rod but there's that moment where you have the two teams running at each other you have xavier's team on one side magneto's team on the other and they're in like that staggered group there's actually a famous x-men cover the two groups of x-men you had the original group against the newer group of x-men who came out of that giant size x-men X-Men number one issue, Cyclops with his original crew, they're all in their X-Factor uniforms, but there was this storyline where it looked like Professor X was making his two teams fight each other. Mm-hmm. I've not read the original episode, but that cover is still ingrained in my mind oh, of X-Men versus X-Men. And that's what's kind of inspired that. That's what that's yeah. what I get the visual of after having seen that cover Mm -hmm. and we'll throw it in the show notes and stuff for reference for you guys so you can look it up yourselves if you want to i'll throw it on instagram i need more shit to put on instagram right (laughs) i love how so we we take turns posting memes on the instagram stories and i love how we both pick the same meme on two different days Mm -hmm. it was the uno one with gambit (laughs) but also hopefully in the new 97 x-men series i know it's a slim chance but i would love for them to just reference or expand on these like kind of throwaway characters like the little green suit man let's have a whole episode (laughs) yeah i want to know who this dude is who's still not in the comics to this day let's give him a story yep justice for green suit man yep 
Yeah. The guards say we're done with the day for whatever reason. Everybody goes back. Well, they're to done their for the cells. day because there's an explosion in the forest. Oh, well, there you go. That that would be a good reason. <laughs> Maybe I'm just desensitized. You to violence. might be. <laughs> you there are people dying. There's fires and shit, and you're just like whatever. <laughs> Well, and they, so we, we go back to the X-Mansion and Cyclops is trying to reach the crew that went to Genosha and they can't get a hold of them. Like John said, if you're in your 20s and you don't know why this scene's happening, they're calling them on like a landline. And so when they can't get a hold of them, it's not as urgent of a deal. I think now it would be like, why are they responding? But they're like, oh, they must be having fun. I think that's the conversation everybody else has. Like, oh, they must be relaxing or whatever. It's just a funny like 90s detail that it's like, it's not the most urgent thing that they can't get a hold nope. of them. And then we see the return of Wolverine has come back from his very quick trip from the Arctic. Yeah. And Cyclops is still a little bit of an asshole, but everybody seems to get over it pretty quickly. I, <laughs> I mean, I think if you've known Wolverine for as long as this crew has, yeah. it just kind of seems on brand for him. <laughs> so they're just like, oh, he's just letting off steam. Yeah. There's no questions about where he's been, what he's doing. <laughs> And then we cut quickly back to Genosha. Yep. The power is glitching. We don't know why yet, but we'll find out in a second. Jubilee, earlier when they were leaving the worksite, picked up, which in animation you couldn't really tell what it was, but now we know it was like a piece of wire or something. Yeah, it looked like just a thin metal wire. And she picks a lock, which I'm not going to question how the mechanics work. It she like picked an electronic lock with a piece of wire. Yeah, and she, I think a few lines later, references something like, I learned this back in something. I want to know where her friend was who taught her how to pick locks in yeah. like upstate New York or something. No, it was a friend at the orphanage yeah. who taught her how to do it. But this was like a touchpad with like the technology. There was a lot of things going on, but nope. she was able to do this because the power was glitching. She tries to get Gambit out. Gambit is kind of ambivalent. Like he doesn't care. Yeah, she basically says, well, what we need to do is at some point tomorrow we need to try to to do an attack and all be coordinated and Gamba's just kind of like nah you're you're on mm -hmm. your own I'm not doing this yeah and so you're just kind of confused and it's kind of settling down the vibe and the groundwork for the rest of the episode and we go back and forth a lot here so then we end up back in the war room and some point they decide hey it's not okay that we can't get a hold of them so they decide to yeah, go to like, Genosha like the next morning it's, right. it's, it's just like last night okay yeah. storm is getting wasted yeah. Gambit's probably off banging somebody. Jubilee is getting her tan. Whatever the combination is. But the next morning, then it's like, no, maybe we yeah, should we go, should go to check Genosha. on them. Yeah. And then Professor X specifically stays behind. Yep. And after the team leaves, we see that he's calling Muir Island and he asks for Moira, which at that time, I hadn't been really into the comic books, but even I knew who Moira McTaggart was. Yep. And, stuff. and it was such a cool, like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. You know, then we cut back to Genosha. Gambit is missing in the morning. We don't know why yet. Sunfire tells Jubilee that they snagged him during the night. Yeah. Yeah. But also that they're in because, oh, I forgot to mention this earlier. Is when she tried to get Gambit the night before, everybody else was like, you're going to get us in trouble. The whole vibe is turned this morning. Sunfire is like, we're in. Let yep. us know what you want us to do. Because they apparently taking Gambit kind of like, I don't know, maybe just shook them enough. It, it triggered them that like, oh, maybe we're not safe because he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And he disappeared. So it wasn't necessarily playing by the rules of do your work, keep your mouth shut, yeah. and then you'll get let out kind of scenario. Mental note to anybody. If you get captured by anybody and they give you some sort of promise, they captured you already. So just don't trust <laughs> the promises yep. so they go through this whole kind of like sloppy teamwork plan that doesn't quite well it, it works out in the sense 
that it ends up with Jubilee with a tablet that controls the collars, or so she thinks. Yes. And she goes to turn the collars off and... Nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happens. And so we just have a bunch of these depowered mutants and they get captured. And we get like an implication that Gambit betrayed them because one of the soldiers said one of their own turned on them. Everybody is making the assumption it's Gambit because he's the one that's not there. And that's when they take Jubilee. They throw her into the box. And then we have the moment of the storm makes a weird comment <laughs> to the episode, even worse than knowledge is power, where she's losing her shit in the box because of her claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. And she says, I will make a snowstorm when the sun rises. Gambit will save us. And I wrote that down because I was like, Rod really likes weird shit that Storm <laughs> says. So that's the highlight right there. It's kind of sad too, because it is such a small line kind of shows how much she's lost in the what day or two that she's been yeah, in that box. Yeah, it's only been roughly a day because they arrived the day prior. She screwed up her thing first thing in the morning and they haven't given us the impression that this is going multiple days yet. Yeah. So this is literally like day two and she's already lost her shit in the box. And also, she's in her all heavy outfit. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I get that they don't want to show her like breaking down into her underwear and stuff like yeah. that, but she's got to be dying in yeah. there from heat stroke of that damn thing. In her whole like metallic silver. <laughs> yeah, even if that's just like white cloth that's gotta be yeah. still be crazy hot but and you know it's a little extra heartbreaking because she has faith in Gammon even though at this time we think that he has turned on everyone and betrayed them we actually then jump to the scene where we get the reveal of Master Mold we see Cameron Hodge and there's the leader and everybody like that and they say oh well this was the one who betrayed them and you get the reveal that it's Gambit and they were like why would he do that mm-hmm. and Gambit basically says yeah I'm just kind of out for myself and they're like well what else are you going to do for us? Mm-hmm. And Gambit gives the offer. I don't care what they, what you do to him. Just I'll take you to the X-Men. Just let me out. Yeah, he just wants his freedom. And the thing that they reveal about Master Mold is a more efficient way of creating the Sentinels instead of doing like the government way they did or whatever they were making one at a time. Right. And they wanted the 100 was going to be their maximum. <laughs> so the interesting part about the Master Mold is he has the ability to just keep making these things. And they say the only resource he needs is power. I would argue they need metal as well right yeah and this scene with master mold they reveal that that's what created the power outage the night before was that he was overdrawing power from the island or whatever like you said apparently the only thing he needs is power because part of his ability is to create metal and whatever other things are inside of a robot i think they maybe oversimplified (laughs) it and they reveal or they introduce the leader i was waiting for them to give him an actual name but i guess his title is the leader his name is the leader he was a former colonel on the island and from like the 1800s because didn't he have like a powdered wig or something (laughs) yeah he had a wig i don't know why yeah weirdly enough he's one of the characters that i didn't decide to like look up his normal marvel 616 profile or anything like that and look up any other details about this guy because they haven't given him a name everybody else has a name i read enough x-men that it's like cameron hodge gyrick all these people the names ring a bell to me boulevard trash they all have something the leader is just i'm like i don't care he looks like a character that fell out of assassin's creed i could see that <laughs> yeah. it's like one of the npcs you yeah. run into gives you information yeah in eric lee wall's book he actually brings up the reason that they chose gambit to be in this scene is because of anybody he was the believable traitor mm-hmm. of the group because everybody else has shown like a lot of loyalty right and there's something about gambit that we we also haven't spent a lot of time with gambit so i think that actually helps and the time where we have spent with him he was like creeping on the girl in the card shop he's like going at it with wolverine in the danger room he's also the dude who goes to the pool in the banana hammock 
dynamic yeah. as yeah so it's like cool there's lots of shade around gambit and, yeah, and it was also like the playing card thing has a whole like poker vibe yeah. that, you know i don't know there's a lot of the trappings but speaking of the playing cards and poker basically they take him back to his cell on the way there in this little was it a hover car or something? It was some sort of flying car yeah, yeah. In, the, in their flying car he basically offers to show a card trick to the two dudes i love that delivery yeah want to see a trick <laughs> And that helps his escape. It wasn't the card that exploded. Oh, he just distracted them. He just distracted them. Uh, yeah. Then we get the reveal of, quote, the wild man of Borneo, who is looking for the leader. He's an American who was a former mercenary in the leader's army. We don't know a lot about the character. They actually keep him fairly mysterious here, but he does give the key to Gambit that disables the collar. Yeah. And, and we know he's been there for at least a week because he references something I got this last week or whatever. Yep. He's alluded to being the person who made the attack in the forest from the previous day. So we don't know a lot about this guy other than even if he is not necessarily an ally of the X-Men, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, he essentially is the one that breaks them out because I think he's the one that blows the flying car up. And so Gambit gets away and is, I think is that when he goes to rescue Jubilee and Storm? Yep, he goes, he gets them out, he gets rid of their collars, he makes a comment to Jubilee, which was awkward. Because he picks her up over his shoulder. Picks her up over the shoulder and he basically is like, how do you sweat so much and not lose weight? Wait. I was like, what? Me- meanwhile, <laughs> when we saw her reveal in the first episode on the Sentinel thing, it showed her weight and she was like 95 yeah. pounds or something like that. So it's like, come on, Gambit. come on, dude. <laughs> no wonder you're the believable traitor. Such and, a dick. And Storm is like extremely relieved because she had faith, even though she was kind of going delusional. Yep. She still had faith and you saw the relief in her. And then at this point, someone mentions that the collars were made in Scotland. And so it kind of references back to Xavier wanting to go to Muir Island. Right. So we get the scene between the leaders. So it's like leader and Trask and that crew. And they basically allude to or they talk about the collars being invented in Scotland. And essentially there is a trade off for, hey, you want some sentinels? We want some collars. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like our way of them staying tied together. And then Cable like snipes the room or something like that. Oh, yeah. The guy we met earlier is Cable. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Yep. But that's such an exciting reveal because even if you're just in passing kind of a fan of the X-Men, I think most people will recognize Cable as one of the Marvel X-Men characters. So seeing him pop up to rescue them is really exciting. But yeah, he comes in and kind of takes out the meeting. Yeah, takes (laughs) out the meeting. The attack on the dam starts. And I have in all capital letters with an exclamation point, the forces at the dam literally have a chicken walker, you know, is the affectionate like term for the ATST. Yeah. And they just have like one of them there with the rest of the forces. I also love, I think at that point, they start freeing all the other other captives. Yep. So you start seeing everybody get released and you start seeing powers being shown. That's where we got essentially the confirmation that the one character is Richter because he's using something that looks like seismic blast towards the ground, very similar mm-hmm. to Avalanche and how Avalanche does it. Domino has wind related powers, which is not accurate to the character. Yeah. I guess to their credit, it's kind of hard to show in like a very quick scene, like what her power would be. Yeah, right? you cannot show <laughs> luck without letting the character at least talk or yeah. something to that capacity or somebody like having their gun misfire but yes it would be very hard to do but domino having wind power yeah and, just, and leech yeah. has telekinesis so yeah blob is actually ready to toss one of the soldiers and kill him and jubilee stops him basically like no don't kill him and plop does not care he, yeah. he doesn't actually off the dude but he's just like whatever why not yeah <laughs> and then there's a random gray mutant and that's the guy when i thought it was darwin no that's a different guy 
Because oh. there's a guy with the white head. That's okay. Caliban. And then there's a random dude who's mostly gray. Who oh. I don't know who that even is. Oh, okay. Jubilee's like, come on with us. And Sunfire's like, we listened to you last time. And that didn't turn out so well. So we're on our own. And that's when the X-Men separate from everyone else. Right. And so the X-Men go on their mission. And then Storm uses her powers to start trying to take out the dam. Inside, we see that Cable is starting to destroy Sentinels. Although that's not his main objective because he kind of moves on. He goes to find the leader. Right. He does attack Master Mold. And then there's a Sentinel that's like incomplete but and I know this was too early to be a reference to but I got real like Ultron vibes from it because he was kind of like this half made robot that was just kind of stumbling through the building he looked very much like Skeletor vibes if you combine Skeletor with a Sentinel that's what it would look like to me was he a mini Sentinel because he walked through some doors that seemed like normal people height so this is where we're going to go with it's a cartoon rule okay because (laughs) the Sentinels have changed height multiple times in the course of the show this was definitely Definitely the like X-Men Konami arcade game size Sentinel. Yeah. Who was basically eye level to a regular person. He's a kind of a tall dude. Yeah. Robot. <laughs> Gyric abandons Trask during the attack that stood out. And then Storm loses her shit and takes out the dam by herself. Yeah. And then once again, it overexerts her. And this time Rogue catches her. Just in time. A little bit more believable than Wolverine's animanium arms not slicing through her body. <laughs> Dude, landing in Wolverine's arms, you might as well land on pavement. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm sure this was not on purpose, but for my headcanon, just seeing Rogue, you actually see her like kind of give a little bit. Like when she gets down there, she like lowers a little bit when she's grabbing her, you know, to a little be more fair, finesse. That's what she should be doing. Yeah. Because if if you're solid on people, that's when shit breaks. Yeah. That's when Gwen Stacy dies. Then we see that Cable actually catches up with the leader and Hodge. Leader, Hodge, and Master Mold all get caught up in that wave. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, Cable catches up with them. Yeah. Then the dam's broken, so the wave gets them. I love that my favorite line, I think, from this episode is Master Mold stands up, which we then learn that he's mobile, not just like part of the building. And <laughs> you look at his back foot and there's a cable coming out. And he says, I'm still plugged in. I love that. I'm, I might make that a ringtone, even though I don't use ringtones anymore. I was going to say, you have a ringtone? <laughs> it is such a, I don't know why. It's not ridiculous or anything. It's just so funny that is, I don't, have we heard the Master Mold talk up until that point? I don't know if we have. The fact that even if he has, one of the only lines of dialogue we have from the master mold is I'm still plugged in yeah. and then he can't get away. So then, yeah. It was brilliant. It, Hodge, was, it, was, it was such a good <laughs> moment because it's so out of character to what you would expect from yeah. this like, you know, mutant killing robot building robot. He has to be attached to power. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what the implication was there. But yeah, that, that's how him, the leader, Hodge and Cable all get swept up in the wave from the dam breaking in good timing. The Blackbird shows up. And- yeah, Rogue must have jumped out, <laughs> caught Storm is like, oh, Oh, I'm just going to go ahead of you guys right yeah. now. I'm going ahead of your supersonic jet. They head back to New York and there was a conversation that happened in the, yeah, the Blackbird. There was a the conversation that happened in the Blackbird. Jubilee said, you know, I knew you would never betray us to Gambit. And Gambit is like, how do you know I'm not fooling you again? And it's like, oh, you're such a dick. Yeah. You are such a dick. Which, you know, fair. Yeah. We all just met it like a week ago, so. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still roughly like a week, maybe a two week maximum to compensate yeah. for the time Wolverine had to fly to the Arctic and back and stuff like that. And Cyclops is trying to get a hold of the X-Mansion, presumably to land and do, you know, whatever they need to do. Just for saying there. we're on our way back, yeah. you know? And they're not responding. And then I think Gambit makes some sort of jab at him for not being competent or whatever. And then Cyclops has the ominous, getting the visual on 
the mansion and then you see the mansion is in shambles. It ends on a to be continued. And mm. the really interesting part about this one is the version that you get on Disney Plus, And I believe also the version that you would get on the DVDs. Those mm. are back in Connecticut right now. So mm. I can't actually look yeah. at mine and reference it. The original, original version, the mansion was intact. Interesting. And it's because when this episode was finished, the following episode was not done yet. They had to take a stock shot and put it in there. And that's why it was intact instead. Because in an upcoming episode, the next one actually, it starts picking up right as this one leaves off and the, the mansion is, is totally messed up. Mm-hmm. But that was one of those things where with reruns and with like home video releases and stuff like that, they were able to fix it. Yeah. But the original airing on Fox Kids had the mansion that's intact. Funny. And it's like, they're reacting to the mansion, but the mansion's intact. Yeah, they're like, oh no. It's like, what? Yeah. Somebody didn't sweep the steps off. I don't know if it started here, but for me as a kid, this was the start of a long running tradition that the X Mansion gets destroyed every other week. Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't just your like headcanon as a kid. Like that happened so much in the books. Like that, yeah. that, that running joke definitely carried and over. And even in the movies, right? I feel like every other I don't, movie. I don't I know think? what you're talking about. Okay, Most yeah. of those don't exist. Yeah, the to movies me. don't exist. No. You <laughs> know what's going to happen, though? at some point we're going to run out of episodes of the cartoon Mm -hmm. even when the new series comes out and we're going to have to go to other X-Men related content (laughs) and the movies probably are going to be our last I don't know we'll have to figure that out but that's a future John and Rod problem to deal with so it was a really great cliffhanger ending and a reminder to anybody who you know was not born in this century we had to wait like a whole week to see the next one and i think i i remember that buildup of gambit being the traitor before this episode aired because of all the the commercials and stuff that'll play for the next week's episode and things so that's why i think i remember all this being so much bigger of a deal than the 20 minutes we saw because there was all this the promo for it the promo but also the the mystery and specifically here what happened to the mansion they show us that and then for the next week we're at school at recess saying like what the heck happened to the mansion like this professor there what's going on so uh, a few really cool notes about this episode one was marvel actually had pushed cable to be used in the series especially in season one they had just introduced cable within the new mutants book and and stuff so they were very high on cable as a character so marvel actually pushed this one the creative team basically kind of had an open slate because there was a lot about cable that was still very unknown oh so a lot of the stuff was established in the show not that it was established in the show but there was not a lot of reference material for cable prior mm-hmm. compared to everybody else who had you know at least a decade plus for yeah. most of the team that is wild because I, I didn't know that this was kind of the the beginning literally for cable because i just assumed that all this stuff had existed in the marvel universe you know for years or whatever before the show happened so now i feel extra old that i was literally there at the genesis of cable <laughs> so cable had made his debut mm-hmm. in 1986 okay but there wasn't a lot about his backstory okay at gotcha. that point. yeah this goes for a lot of the X-Men characters, obviously, but specifically for Cable, that image of him in the cartoon, the animated series. Is your is, image is, of him? Yeah, that's who I think of when I think of Cable. Like when they announced he was going to be in the Deadpool movie and stuff, that was like the standard that I, I was like, how are they going to get a guy that big? And yep. then I just never thought like, well, we can get somebody else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this episode, in addition to the introduction of Cable as a character to the 
animated series was literally meant to have tons of cameos. So that's mm -hmm. where we talk about at the beginning, a lot of those members of X-Force and, and everybody mm -hmm. like that. This was a great spot to put them in because mm -hmm. at the time they had season one planned out. They did not have season two planned out. They only oh, wow. knew they were approved for the 13 original episode run. Yeah. So if there was a way to start planting the seeds for other characters, this was a good spot to do it. Yeah, and not address Green Suit Guy for whatever nope. reason. <laughs> nope. I legitimately think they put Green Suit Guy into this episode to give some credibility to him being in the group yeah. running in the intro. We're going to find out some random meta story where it's like someone's kid or someone who won a contest or something to be animated in the show. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it was it was in the original intro. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Any theory just gets debunked by some other piece of information. Yeah. But then on a darker note, the whole meaning behind this episode was giving a preview of what happens if one of the major conflicts fails. You know, we talked about in the show, there is mutant versus mutant. When you look at like Magneto and what has been alluded to with him building up his army and such, even though we've not seen said army aside from Sabretooth at this point. Yeah. But the other side is the mutant versus human and starting to put regulation in place around registration and, and being treated as different. And Eric literally talks about it in the book where he mentions it was literally meant to echo the Holocaust, the Soviet gulags, and then 1984. So oh, wow. even throwing people into the box and how that was mentally destroying Storm, mm -hmm. that was all meant to showcase the trauma associated yeah. to what happens to the mutants if the mutants lose. Yeah. And it, it was kind of sad while we're on the dark side of things. As a kid, I didn't even associate it with that. But down the road, other things in history would happen that I associated with the Genosha whole right. thing. And they really tapped into this, not just human history, but just like human nature, I guess. That's a kind of a depressing thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so what our inspiration for, for this episode was how people behave. How awful <laughs> is humanity? <laughs> When they don't understand something, what can go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, it, this was one of episodes, I keep saying this each episode, but it's true it, that I I believe helped make us as kids viewers like a little bit smarter in the sense that there was an actual mystery that built up kind of gradually over the episodes. We see like, why is Genosha open? Then we get there and then why are they building a dam? And then we find out the dams for the power for Master Mold. And it all actually fits together when you think about it, even not as a kid, but it's still made for a really great episode, a lot of action. There's still a lot of fighting we saw a shit ton of powers because of all those cameos even though that dominoes was an incorrect one right uh <laughs> well maybe she got lucky to get wind power that's not I don't how know. it <laughs> works rod i don't care if your only reference to domino is the freaking deadpool 2 movie that is not how she works i had her trading card when i was a kid thanks thank you for contributing <laughs> I did appreciate the use of Sunfire and him <clears throat> having a, even though he was not the leader of the resistance group, he's a really powerful character in terms of personality yeah. in the comics. And him kind of being the voice for the entire group, I thought was a really solid use for him. Yeah, he kind of um, stepped up every time. Yeah, but. because our introduction to him was not the giant size X-Men of being on the new team of X-Men. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're in a different continuity and timeline, so Krakoa doesn't happen mm -hmm. in the same manner. But it was just really cool to see Sunfire. And then actually not having the mask on him. Because I think certain costumes are great for comic books mm -hmm. and don't translate translate well to real life and animation mm -hmm. because you want to see that this is a stern guy. You want to actually see the representation of him too, of not just being another white character, especially yeah. in the in the early 90s. So I, I appreciated actually seeing 
seeing him on screen. Yeah, because I had to look him up because I thought it might be Sunfire and only because I know this was the 90s and how many Asian characters were in the comics. But uh, I was actually familiar with like the more samurai looking Sunfire, you know, they had like a little bit of armor on him. But then when I went to go look him up to verify, I saw that he had kind of like an electro looking mask or something. Yeah, it had his power on his face, essentially. Okay. Yeah, like like Electro's would. Yeah. And I don't know if this was like a conscious decision or whatever, but I kind of appreciate it as like an Asian American guy that as soon as he started opening his mouth in the show, I was like, here we go. But it wasn't I don't I don't think at least personally it was too heavy handed. You definitely you know could tell that he had a little bit of an accent, but it wasn't like super. Like, it wasn't loose. Looney Tunes level yeah. accent, yeah, like quote where unquote. It wasn't to the level where Disney would have to add a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> like, this was from another time. I mean, I would hope in a series that is all about representation of a group in a minority fashion mm-hmm. that if you ever had to write this was written in another time about the show that yeah. is empowering minority groups, yeah. that would be pretty fucked up. Somehow the fat joke slipped through with Jubilee, but... <laughs> To the girl who's the skinniest member of the entire team, too. And also a teenager. This gets, like, worse the more we think about it. Yeah. Like, like a grown man told a teenage girl that she was too fat. Again, who is the believable traitor? Right. (laughs) Oh, there you go. It's just world building. That's what we're doing. Yep. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them in the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post about this episode. If you like what you heard, we'd appreciate your rating on the podcast app of your choosing. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and other services I don't know exist, but John is working on. I am working on them. And thank you all for watching. And if you are wondering, as we close out this episode, who is the believable traitor of the group? It's me.